This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Tonight on Huckabee, Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, laughter and inspiration with comedian Dan Culp, bluegrass and Americana duo Darren and Brooke Aldridge. Trey Corley of the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Welcome, everybody. I love it when we have a wonderful, excited, and fired-up crowd, and we have one tonight. And I hope if you have never been in our show studio audience, you get on the website, Huckabee.tv, get tickets, and come and be with us. I promise you will have a good time. Well, something is not such a good time. I am tired. I mean really tired of hearing the pro-abortionist who treat killing an unborn child as not just some divine right, but as a desired outcome of a pregnancy. And they rail against the pro-life community and accuse us of not caring about a baby after it's born. That is a despicable lie. It is the kind of misinformation. It is. That's the kind of misinformation that ought to get those who spread it banned on Facebook and Twitter. But of course it won't, no. Social media platforms are more than willing accomplices in the killing of babies and in the cover-up of what the so-called pro-choicers really believe. Truth is, they aren't for real choice. But the only choice that therefore is the one that involves an abortion in which a baby is ripped to shreds by surgical instruments and the body parts are discarded like used paper towels. There are at least 808 kill centers like Planned Parenthood. They make big money selling abortions all over the country. And sadly, some of America's corporate giants not only support the abortion industry, but in light of the recent Supreme Court ruling that moved the decision back to the real democracy of the people's elected representatives, we better understand the reason behind corporate America's blind support of abortion. Companies ranging from left-leaning Amazon, which we would expect, to even once more conservative companies like Tyson Foods, the world's largest protein producer. They're from my home state of Arkansas. And these companies are offering to pay for the abortions of their employees by paying for their travel to an abortion-friendly state if they happen to currently live in a state where the people have voted not to kill a big portion of the next generation. Now, you may wonder, why? Why would companies do this? I hate to tell you, but the answer is simple. If you run a big corporation, 
an abortion is cheaper than maternity leave or prenatal health care for the mom. It's cheaper than years of health care coverage for a child on the employer's uh, compensation package. I mean, to be blunt, big corporations just don't care much about you having children. They'd rather you just have an abortion because it makes them more money. They just really aren't into you that much if you're a woman. For all the talk about being poor women, they're not. Now, if you think that sounds crass and cruel, okay. But you tell me what's more cruel than paying to kill babies, but not offering those same employees the money to travel to another state to adopt a baby. Why don't they do that? Now, this lie that the pro-life people don't care is laughable. There are over 3,000 crisis pregnancy centers in the United States, and they provide real choice for women. Most provide pregnancy testing and ultrasound screenings at no cost. Most provide counseling, free tests for STD, and most all of them not only provide services for the pregnancy, but after the baby is born, they provide for baby clothes and cribs and diapers and strollers and car seats and more. Last week, Senator Elizabeth Warren spoke out. You know, I think we ought to change the letter W in her last name to a B and just call her Elizabeth Barron. Because in a fiery public speech, she announced that she wants to shut down all the crisis pregnancy centers in the country. In other words, if a woman isn't willing to kill her unborn child, Senator Barron thinks that no one should be able to help you keep that baby by offering actual health care. You know, when the pro-abortionists use words like reproductive health, they're lying. There's nothing reproductive about an abortion. In fact, it ends reproduction. It doesn't preserve a life. Fact is, an abortion is the only medical procedure that is carried out in which at least one patient will absolutely die from the treatment. And sadly, the death is going to be unnecessary, unwanted by the actual victim, and potentially harmful medically to the mother. Through the course of a year, I speak at fundraising events for crisis pregnancy centers all over the country. Almost none of them take any taxpayer money, unlike Planned Parenthood, that couldn't live without funding from the government. And try asking Planned Parenthood for an ultrasound, a car seat, baby clothes, or diapers. You'll discover they're not in the reproductive health business at all. They are only in the abortion business. You pay, they slay. Blunt? Yeah. But enough lies about the people pretending to be about health and then vowing a war against the clinics that actually provide help to expectant mothers. And by the way, lately those clinics have been targets of ruthless terrorism that includes firebombing, graffiti sprayed on their exteriors, windows being shattered, and workers harassed while just simply coming to work. Elizabeth Warren vows she's going to shut those down, all those crisis pregnancy centers. I think it's time that we shut down the killing machines like Planned Parenthood and we shut down senators like Elizabeth Warren by sending them home. And when we send them home, maybe we can replace them with senators who believe in real choice and who believe in real children.
My first guest serves Colorado's third district in the United States Congress. And she's no career politician, just elected in 2020. She's a business owner, a bomb, and she has become a household name as an America First conservative. She was with us just a few months back, but she's released a brand new book. And I'll tell you, the left doesn't like this book. You know what else? They don't like her too much either. We like her a lot. That's why we're having her back. Welcome back to our show, Congresswoman and author of this book, My American Life, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Well, I'm excited to have you back. You've got a brand new book, My American Life. Yes. Tell me about your American life. So, Governor, I have a lot of stories, and that's why I wrote a book. Uh, the fake news media loves to tell their own stories about me, and I thought I would reach out to the American people and tell them directly about my upbringing. And it's amazing because it's all of these stories combined that have led me to be a self-taught conservative. I was actually raised in a Democrat household, and it was my mom just believing the lies that were told to yeah. her that these policies are how you take care of your children. This is how you uh, get by in life. But it, it left us in a cycle of poverty, and it was almost impossible to break that cycle. And uh, it, it, was, um, it was kind of rough. Uh, we left Florida with my grandparents. My mom was a single mom, and we moved to Colorado. And uh, we thought that that was going to be a fairy tale life, but it, there was actually a lot of abuse, a lot of drug and alcohol abuse, physical abuse. And as a young girl, seeing my mom go through that, seeing uh, her try to cover that up and, um, and then trying to put a smile on her face through it for me and for my little brothers. Um, but it, was, it, it wasn't always beautiful. But America is a land of opportunity, mm -hmm. and we all can climb out of that. I, I love your story because it is not a story of, gee, I grew up in a wealthy household. I had a, two parents that, uh, you know, provided everything I wanted and needed. You went to work at McDonald's when yes. you were 15. A lot of people may have not caught you live in Rifle, yes. Colorado. That's right, yes. So one of the most prolific gun advocates, Second Amendment yes. supporters in the country lives in Rifle. That's right, yes. I mean, you can't make that <laughs> you up. You can't make this up, no. <laughs> but yes. I, I, I've got to go into the fact that just recently, some really nasty stuff was thrown mm -hmm. at you. I mean, it was vicious. Some of the most vicious stuff I've ever seen right. thrown at political figures. And believe me, I've seen a lot. Mm -hmm. I've been the target of a bunch of it. Right. This was some of the worst I've ever seen. Yes. And you were accused of really some despicable things. Absolutely. No consequence for the people who accuse you of this stuff. Not yet. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, not, yeah. not yet. No, it, it actually was uh, absolutely gruesome. And of course, there's the politics of personal destruction, but outright lies and slander and uh, attacking me for the things that I believe in the most and saying that I'm guilty of doing those things myself. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it really was uh, gross. But that's why I'm uh, extremely happy to have my book, My American Life, so people can look into my life and get a glimpse uh, of how to become a self-taught conservative. This is... The, the American dream is available for everyone. My husband and I, we have our four boys, and there, is, there have been so many stories that have taught me uh, it's, it's, these conservative values from delivering my four boys. Mm. One of them I delivered in a pickup truck 
And <laughs> was I, that intentional, or was it like you're on your way? No, no, no. That was okay. that was on the way. But but also, I mean, it, I saw some brokenness in our healthcare yeah. system. Uh, you know, when when the bill came due, I I was charged full price for delivery. I said, well, wait a second. I, I think, thought I GM I would have charged you, you know, for <laughs> yeah, delivering in yeah. one of their Chevrolet trucks or something. Right. Yes. Well, that might not have made it all the way to the hospital. So we were in a Ford. We got there. Oh, a Ford. But- okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ford is going to provide you with a new truck now. Thanks to uh, that. That was great. <laughs> Yes, but but all of this has just built up to these experiences. And really, I wish more members of Congress had the life experiences yeah. that I've had. Uh, I, I didn't graduate high school. I went to work to put food on the table for my family. And, uh, you know, through that, I went through, this, through the school of hard knocks and I opened up a restaurant in Rifle, Colorado, Shooter's Grill. Uh, it was an amazing place where all of the waitresses open-carried firearms. <laughs> I bet they got good tips. <laughs> Yes. How much are you going to tip? Uh, I think it's a lot three, more than I was planning to, honey. I think it's 300% for an armed waitress. 300%. Well, we are thrilled to have you back. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come right back with more from Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Don't you go away. Still ahead, comedian Dan Culp gets us laughing and great country bluegrass music from the Aldridges. That's all coming up on Huckabee. MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow AdGovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Welcome back. I can't think of anything more appropriate for Trey Corley and the Music City Connection to bring us back into than the old uh, Sly and the Family Stone tune hot time summer in the city. And you've had a hot time in the city, the Washington, D.C. city. Yes. You've kind of had a little thing going with uh, bumping heads with one of my least favorite people (laughs) in all of government, Eric Swalwell (laughs) from California. Maybe one of the, and I'm just going to be blunt, one of the sleaziest people that I've ever watched get elected to anything. Tell us about that little repartee. Well, unfortunately, uh, he only acts tough on Twitter. So I've actually tried to have conversations um, with with Eric. Smells not so well, and uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't really work out. Um, he he beelines away from me, and so I, I maybe I'm intimidating. Um, not sure, but he actually compared me to the um, the horrible mass shooter in Highland Park, mm. and uh, he he put a picture of of me with a firearm and said, "Let's start drawing straight lines," and so. You know, I responded. I said, yeah, let's start drawing straight lines. And I drew a straight line from Eric Swalwell to Fang Fang, the Chinese spy, to the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how he sits on the Intelligence Committee, right. having had a romantic relationship with a Chinese spy, I mean, that stuff, it's, it's like out of a film, and you say, well, that would never really happen. Right. But it did. There are no consequences uh, for the Democrats in, in Pelosi's house. Um, in, in her party, uh, she ignores everything that, that goes wrong and then, and of course, heightens anything that they want to elevate. Um, but surely, when we fire Nancy Pelosi, this next Congress... <laughs> we will also 
be removing Eric Swalwell from the Intelligence Committee and stripping him of his security clearance. You went to Washington not to be a part of Washington, right. but to take the world that you talk about in your book, American Life, My American Life, to take that kind of hometown, yes. small town worldview to DC. Absolutely. You fought for that. Yes. My big concern, Republicans win this November, mm -hmm. House and Senate, let's assume that happens. Mm -hmm. Are there enough people up there that will fight like you will to actually turn that place around and not care that they're never going to be invited to sit down and right. have a cup of tea with Joe Scarborough on MSNBC? Yes, so uh, I am a member of the House Freedom Caucus, and uh, I, I believe that there are enough of us there that can influence the direction of the Republican Party and make sure Republicans don't start acting like Democrats. Um, first of all, that's the only way we lose the midterms, and, and certainly that's how we lose the, the trust of the American people who have elected us uh, to actually go there and stand up for the principles of our party. I, I've, I've been a Christian now for 10, 11 years, and... Um, it's amazing what God can call you to. And in my, in my book, I actually talk about um, not feeling qualified to do what God has called me to do. I, I started ministering to women in the Garfield County Jail mm. um, right there in my hometown. And when, that, when I was first approached about this, I said, well, who am I to minister the word to someone else? And, and God began to show me how we have the same spirit that yeah. raised Christ from the dead, that lives on the inside of us, that same spirit of excellence. It's not a diminished spirit that he gives to his sons and daughters. And so for seven years, I went in and ministered to these women, and I was able to personally introduce them to the God who turns their shame into mm, glory. Beautiful. And when they came out, I was able to have these relationships, offer them jobs at my businesses. And that was uh, far greater than any government program could have ever been. I was able to show them redemption and, uh, and what having a, a real um, second chance means in America and, and walking alongside the Holy Spirit each and every day um, with, with Jesus as my Lord there, keeping my principles straight and, uh, straight and my morals um, on, on target is, is key in Washington, D.C. because there are a lot of people that want to take you down. It's, it's such an encouragement to hear you. It's always thrilling to have you here on the show. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, My American Life is the book. And uh, I think as you've heard her tonight, you're going to want to read this book and find out what makes her tick. But the beautiful thing is that what makes her tick is her relationship to the Lord and her love of this great country. Yes. Check out the book. It's called My American Life. Head over to Huckabee.tv. You can find out not only about the book, but how to keep up with Lauren Boebert. Keith, we've got a very fun show ahead. I'm going to let you tell everybody about it right now. Well, I would love to. Next, get ready to laugh with comedian Dan Culp. Later, former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark on Huckabee. Tonight's comedian is also an actor, he's a writer, he's the former lead singer of a touring rock band. Now he's traveling the U.S. performing inspirational comedy. He's appeared on shows like Good Morning America. He's the author of a book called...
confound the wise, which is not hard to do a lot of the times. A celebration of life, love, laughter, adoption, and the joy of children with special needs. Please join me in giving a great big Huckabee Theater welcome to Dan Culp. I became a new dad about 14 years ago. <laughs> and uh, in order to do that, my wife and I, we flew all the way to China. Because you know pregnant women with their late night cravings. <laughs> my wife wanted authentic Chinese food. <sighs> no, we adopted, we adopted. And uh, yeah. Oh, hey. I'm a terrible father, so you shouldn't encourage me like that. <laughs> I learned a couple things when I first stepped off that plane in China. The first thing I learned was that I was the fattest guy in all of China. <laughs> My wife, she's tall and thin and pretty, you know. Together, we must have looked like the number 10 roaming around the countryside. <laughs> sightseeing. <laughs> yeah, everything changed when I became a dad, too. Everything changed. I used to tour the country in a rock band. I had high hopes and dreams for my life. I used to dream that maybe one day I would write that one hit song that would help change the world. Now I find myself writing songs like this. There's a party on the potty, and Poopy and Pee-Pee are invited. There's a party on the potty, and Poopy and Pee-Pee will be there. You can tinkle on the toilet and let everybody know it, they'll be delighted. There's a party on the potty with something that smells different in the air. Everybody, there's a You guys are weird. I don't know. I just got back into some serious songwriting again, though. Um, I saw that movie, I Can Only Imagine. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that inspired me, you know, because I watched that and I thought, I'm going to write a song based on that movie. <laughs> Don't steal my ideas, all right? Let <laughs> me steal that. Oh, everything changed. But we adopted who my wife and I have been told is the first child adopted out of China to the U.S. who has Down syndrome. And, yeah, oh. <laughs> Everything changed, but here's the cool thing, too. I grew up with four siblings who have Down syndrome, and three of them were adopted. And so it had occurred to me then that I was going to be like my dad, exhausted, 
<laughs> well, two years later, my wife's on the internet, and she finds out about a girl also in China, and she has something very rare called Elfie syndrome. It's where part of her ninth chromosome is missing. My wife looked at me and said, I think we're supposed to be her parents. So we flew back over to China. We adopted Danielle and brought her home. And then two years after that, my wife is on the internet again. <laughs> and I'd been praying that our computer would develop a virus. <laughs> I'd been opening every suspicious email link I received. My wife found out about this little boy in Ukraine named Shay. He had spina bifida. And she looked at me and she said, I think we're supposed to be his parents. And I said, honey, how can we possibly do that? I mean, we don't have the time. I'm busy writing hit songs based on movies <laughs> that are based on hit songs. I said, we don't have the time. We don't have the money. We live very modestly. I said, we don't have the space. We live in a very, very small house. I said, honey, I don't have the energy. Haven't you noticed that I get winded watching our children put on their shoes to go outside and play? <laughs> That's what my wife said. She looked at me and she said, honey, I know all that and all that is true. But all I know is God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. And I said, honey, I said, we've got to stop reading the Bible. <laughs> now, here's the funny way God works. Two days after we committed to adopting Shay, my wife found out she was pregnant. That's right. And two weeks after getting little Shay home from Ukraine, my wife gave birth to Emily. And shortly after that, we gave birth to little Stephen. And then we gave those two up for adoption. <laughs> we figured it was like the take a penny, give a penny tray you see at the gas station. We'd taken a few. It was our turn to give back. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you have been a terrific crowd. Thank you very much. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Beautiful, Dan. Oh. I think we're all blessed but amazed that you and your wife, Elizabeth, were willing to reach out and take kids that others just said, we, we just couldn't do it. What was the motivation? What was deep down in you and your wife to do that? Well, you know, I have my adoption story from when I was growing up. But um, when I was dating my wife, she is a physical therapist, mm -hmm. and she went to China for a few months to work in orphanages in very rural China. When she was there, she saw some really horrible, horrible things. And she came home and she told me her story and it changed my life. Wow. And um, we started dating, you know, again, we'd sort of been on a break, started dating again. And she said, I have two requirements for any man that I'm going to marry. The first one is he has to be willing to adopt an orphan from China. I have to get one out, she said. Mm. And the second requirement was that man had to be intensely good looking. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, she won. There you go. Nailed it. I think you nailed it. <laughs> well, I, I want everyone to know you can keep up with Dan Culp, and you can also book him for an event and get his book, Confounding the Wise. Very easy to do. Go to Huckabee.tv for all the links. Speaking of being confounded, Keith stays that way, but he's got it together long enough to tell us what's coming up next on the show.
Well, no problem at all. Next, Mike talks to former Sheriff David Clark about rising crime. Later, the Fellowship President Yael Eckstein's work with Ukrainian refugees. You're watching Huckabee. Welcome back. David Clark has spent nearly 40 years in law enforcement. He served as Milwaukee County Sheriff from 2002 to 2017, but he's been called America's Sheriff for his straight talk and his tough on crime approach. As so many American cities are spiraling into absolute chaos, he says these are the entirely predictable results of defund the police and electing radical woke prosecutors. You've seen him many times on television. You're going to see him right here, right now. Welcome to the show for the very first time, Sheriff David Clark. Come on up. Great having you here, Thanks Sheriff. Thanks a lot. Have a seat. Thanks a lot, folks. you got a lot of fans in this building tonight. Well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little careful with that term because, as you know, fame is fleeting. Uh, they could be cheering you one day and, and booing you the next. So that, That's possible. This group, I'm pretty sure, is fairly consistent about what they stand for. And I think you're safe. Law enforcement has been in the news and not all in a positive way. I want to take a... Uh, just a moment to talk about what happened in Uvalde, Texas, that horrific school shooting. Happened for over an hour. There's one shooter. There are more than two dozen police officers involved. And we just saw a video this week, Sheriff, that when the shooter started shooting, 17 officers in that hallway ran away from the shooter. What's wrong with that picture? That day was not the Uvalde Police Department's finest hour. Yeah. Okay. The thing that bothers me now is, look, when you screw up, just come with it. You know, peel the Band-Aid off. We're getting this, you know, trickle effect of mm -hmm. bad news. No, no, get it all out there. Admit, hey, look, we performed horribly. We're going to make some changes, and we're going to make sure, not that this doesn't happen again, but we're going to make sure we have a different outcome last time. The thing that I was reminded of is how the officers of NYPD and Fire Department of New York performed on 9-11, they went into the fire. Yeah. They ran toward the fire. Yes, they did. Right? And the thing is, you know, in these situations, and they're tough, they're, they're, they're very chaotic, but in the way that we train, but that's a static situation. In other words, you got a barricaded subject. No shots are being fired. You got time to set up, plan. Once you hear the gunfire, it's go time. Yeah. You breach that building. You put yourself in harm's way. That's what we signed up for, right? And yourself in harm's way so that the shooter then has to turn on you and away from the people who are not armed. That is, is how it should have gone down, but it didn't. I think so many of us as Americans, we're shocked that violent criminals, we're not talking about petty thieves, 
vicious, violent criminals are put back on the street immediately by these left-wing prosecutors like in L.A., San Francisco, New York, and Chicago. Milwaukee. What's wrong with them? What is yeah. that about? This is the, the, the weakest link in this criminal justice system we have. And it is a system, right? You have the police on the front end, you have the prosecutors, you have the courts, and then you have correction. They all have to be working in concert with each other. If one of those is not working, the whole thing falls apart. And right now what you have are these woke DAs that have come in and they're actually using these large urban cities as laboratories to conduct social engineering experiments, right? No bail, uh, an overabundance on probation and parole, watered down sentences in exchange for plea bargains, early release, second chance programs, and we all want believe in second chances, but not for a guy who's got 18 felony convictions on his record. He didn't deserve a second chance. He's had enough as it is. Yeah. And, and the sad thing, Sheriff, people, innocent people. There was a gentleman last week in New York, a bodega worker by the name of uh, Jose Alba. He got charged with murder after he was attacked. He's a 70, what, two-year-old man. He's viciously attacked. He fights back. And he's the one that gets charged, not not the crook who, who, by the way, got killed by the worker. You know, the world is upside down right now. And, and, and the, the, the victims are now the crooks, and the crooks are now victims. That's the way this, the prosecutor's office is treating these people. I saw that tape over and over and over. Now I understand, having spent 40 years in law enforcement, there's a lot involved in these investigations. I didn't get to talk to all of the witnesses. I didn't get to examine a lot of the evidence. But you know what? My eyes don't lie to me. Yeah. And what I saw, based on my experience, and I've investigated homicides, I worked for the homicide unit in the Milwaukee Police Department, and based on what I saw, that guy should not have been arrested. If nothing, he should have just been told, hey, show up at the uh, district attorney's office on Monday. Do you know who he is? He's not going anywhere. Hmm. There's yeah. no need to summarily arrest him. And then they put a $250,000 bail and held him at Rikers Island. Are you kidding me? I mean, it was, it was the most bizarre thing. What's the solution? We had a crime wave come through Milwaukee County, and I got tired of seeing pe people victimized, and I put out a 30-second ad. A 30-second ad just telling people, you're the first line in your own self-defense. 911 isn't always your best option. The police can't get there right away. We're not omnipresent. And so I told people, you know, prepare, start to prepare, consider taking a firearm safety course so you can protect yourself until we get there. So I think it starts with an attitude. And then these people, they got to be bounced out of office. I know the, the DA in San Francisco is recalled. The LA uh, district attorney is potentially recalled. You got to get rid of these people. They're on yeah. the wrong side. They're supposed to represent the state and law-abiding society. They're acting as pseudo-defense attorneys. The defendant has their own attorney system, yeah. right? And they're acting as kind of a built-in firewall uh, for the criminal defender. And they're not supposed to do that. Well, if we had a position of national sheriff, I think we'd try to get you on the ballot and get you elected. <laughs> sheriff David Clark. So glad to have Sheriff Clark with us. You can keep up with America's Sheriff online, and if you want to know how, go to Huckabee.tv. We have direct links to everything all about David Clark. Right now, Keith Bilbrey, he has uh, been unshackled uh, from his uh, house arrest. We've taken the ankle bracelets off of him and the handcuffs. Uh, free him up so he can tell us about the rest of the show. Well, thank you. Up next, Mike talks with Yael Eckstein of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Later, award-winning bluegrass duo Jared and...
Rock Aldrich perform on Huckabee. Go to shop.huckabee.tv and get your very own Made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more. It has been an honor for me to work with my next guest. She's the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, which has helped countless people all over the world, from impoverished Jewish families to Holocaust survivors. And most recently, they've been at the forefront of helping evacuate elderly Jewish people from the war-torn mess in Ukraine as they're being bombarded by Russia. Here to tell us about the IFCJ's latest projects, Please welcome my dear friend, Yale Eckstein. Yale, it's so nice to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Governor. I actually feel at home. I'm with one of my most favorite people in the world in the studio that I love most. So thank you for having me back. We are glad to have you back. You've been with us in the studio. You've been with us remotely back when uh, the first week or so of the uh, ongoing issues of Ukraine. You guys have been very involved in helping not only to evacuate some Jewish people out of harm's way, but to also bring supplies. Tell us about what you've seen, what your volunteers and your staff have seen there. Well, it's heartbreaking. I think for anyone who's been following what's happening in Ukraine, you know the level of pain and mourning. There's almost no one who hasn't lost a family member of fear, and I think especially for the people that the fellowship helps, the most vulnerable, the Holocaust survivors, that this is the second time in their life that they've seen their country try to be destroyed and people needlessly killed and murdered. And so I think the fellowship comes to not only bring the basic needs of food and medicine, which they literally can't live without, but also this hope when we say Christians in America are sending this aid to you because they love you, they pray for you, they stand with you. You know, Governor, that's just important as the food that keeps them alive. Most people, even those who are contributors, probably don't understand that you give more help to people in poverty than even the Israeli government does to the Jewish people of Israel. Well. First, I, when I hear you say that, I just say, wow, praise God, what a huge privilege and yeah. honor. And actually, the Israeli government comes to the fellowship asking us to distribute their aid mm. to different basic food items and medicine and emergency support to the poorest populations of Israel because the fellowship has developed a system where we can distribute it quicker and more effectively even than the government. So the government is amazing. Don't yeah. get me wrong. We are apolitical. We work with whatever government sure. is elected in Israel. And the Ministry of Welfare, who we work so closely with, is so committed to helping the people of Israel. And I think it's from that commitment that they see an opportunity to distribute aid effectively through the fellowship, and they take those steps to do that. The logistics of the fellowship, you mentioned that in terms of why the Israeli government comes to you. I mean, you have extraordinary facilities and trucks and all sorts of things that make this possible. What's amazing is also our ability through our volunteers and partners to shift when we need to and create new programs immediately. So I'll give you an example, Governor. Okay. The fellowship had the last Aliyah flight to Israel from Ukraine before the war. I was in Kiev four days before the invasion broke out, surrounded by 100,000 Russian troops. It was a little bit scary flying that in there. That would be, yeah, yes. Yeah. But we had the last Aliyah flight out of Ukraine before the invasion. 
and the first Aliyah flight from Moldova after the invasion, mm. when we had tens of thousands of Jewish people crossing over the border of Ukraine to Moldova and saying, bring us to Israel. The airspace was closed. The airport in Moldova was closed. So we got special humanitarian permission to fly chartered flights into the Moldova airport where they opened just for our flights. We packed these airplanes with 15 tons each of humanitarian aid that would be sent into Ukraine, unloaded the humanitarian aid, loaded the flights with Jewish immigrants to Israel, flew them home to Israel, and then turned around, did the exact same thing. It is an incredible thing that you guys are able to do. I've been with you when we've been to the home of an elderly Jewish person, survivor of the Holocaust, who lives three stories up and hadn't been out of her apartment for over eight years because she couldn't manage the steps up and down. To deliver that box of food was more than the food. It was the, the embrace, the touch, Yes. the human compassion. Yes. How can people help keep that going? Well, God says that we should not forsake or forget those who are elderly, that we should stand up in the presence, not just turn our eyes from it. And so this is the fellowship's way of standing up in the presence of elderly, finding those who haven't left their home in years, who don't have any family support, who have no one, and going with the food box and saying, millions of Christians love you. Not just one person, yeah. not just me, not just Governor Huckabee who are walking up these stairs bringing the food box. This is on behalf of millions of people. And I'm always so humbled by that. So um, of course, via our website, www.ifcj.org, people could get all the information, join this huge grassroots effort where it's one person and one person and one person coming together to help last year over two million Jewish people. Wow. It's a phenomenal organization and ministry, and I'm very proud that we're affiliated with it as uh, you're one of the partners of our show, and we are proud of what the fellowship is doing. Yael, thank you very much. It is always a joy to be in your presence. And I hope you'll learn more about the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews and how you can get involved and help with their important mission. It's real simple. If you visit Huckabee.tv, we will connect you. There'll be a direct link to the fellowship, and I hope you will give. People sometimes will come up to me and say, hey, that thing you talk about on your show, that uh, Fellowship of Christians and Jews, is that a good organization? And I always say, I wouldn't be encouraging you to give if I hadn't witnessed with my own eyes the great work that they do. Now, don't you dare go away, because there's still more Huckabee Show, and Keith Bilbrey is standing by, who's gonna tell us all about it. Well, next, bluegrass duo Darren and Brooke Aldridge talk to Mike, then perform some of their award-winning music right here on Huckabee. You know, we got something really special for you tonight, but we've already had some pretty special stuff, including the absolutely magical music of Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Would you put your hands together for them? Tonight's musical guests have topped just about every bluegrass Americana or gospel chart there is. 
They have received multiple industry honors, including four consecutive Female Vocalist of the Year awards from the International Bluegrass Music Association. Their latest album is absolutely wonderful. It's called This Life We're Living. Would you please welcome Darren and Brooke Aldridge. You know, I, I told the audience before the show tonight that your, your career is on fire. I mean, you're everywhere, and it just seems like so many doors are opening up because people are relating to the music that you're writing and that you're performing. So this, this life we're living, that's really what it's about? That's, really that's right. We're blessed. We, we wanted to give people a little bit more insight uh, to Darren and Brooke on this album, and um, I feel like we, we did that. And, uh, you know, just to be a couple, a married couple, and, uh, you know, our roots started in church with our family singing and, uh, you know, just always instill God in our lives. And uh, I think that's the reason that doors have opened for us. So. Well, you're blessing us, and you've become a blessing, and you're being blessed. And I think that's exciting. And one of the songs on this album, you're going to do it for us a little later, is a song called Grand Old Circle. Mm -hmm. I want you to tell us about the song, because it'll help us better understand it when we're performing it. Well, a good friend of ours uh, that's in the audience here, Mr. Bill White, he asked us an idea of, uh, and y'all play the Opry so much, and you're a young couple, and you know, in bluegrass and country and gospel, and I know folks would like to hear your story. And that circle is at the uh, Grand Ole Opry now, but it came out of the old Ryman Auditorium, right. didn't it? It did mm -hmm. in 1974, and uh, we wanted to add that history, you know, not make it so much about us, uh, per se, but you know, just give the Opry a shout out and uh, thank them for always being a beacon of hope in, in hard times. And they've, they've proved to do that all these uh, years. Our show's connection to the Opry happens to be that Keith Bilbrey, our announcer, was the Opry's announcer for 35 years. That's and, right. And so we feel a connection there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, there's a historic nature to the Grand Ole Opry that's unlike any other performance venue in the entire world. Mm -hmm. Nothing quite like it. And so many of the names in the song are people that influenced you. Yes, very much so. And it, it was hard, you know, in four minutes to add everybody that we wanted to include. <laughs> um, but we tried to get as many as we could think of uh, in that amount of time. And of course, it had to rhyme, so. <laughs> yeah, of course, it had to rhyme. That's part of the deal of the song. Right. Well, we're going to let everyone see what an amazing song it is, The Grand Old Circle. While we get ready to perform, Keith Bilber, who knows a thing or two about The Grand Old Circle, he's going to tell you how you can hear more of the great music of Darren and Brooke Aldridge. For tour dates, recordings, and more, and to see a digital exclusive performance of the song Old Fashioned, go to Huckabee.tv. Now, to perform their tribute to the Grand Ole Opry, Grand Ole Circle, here are Darren and Brooke Aldridge. There's a microphone standing in the middle where the chosen get to see. Boots and heels have walked into it, left some scuffs and scars. You can feel the ghost of Hank singing 
you're cheating hard It survived a flood in 2010 There's not one show where it's gone missing A circle can't be broken It's always there and open With a line on it for those who sing their song Just like